Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. The work of the church is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Today we're leaning into afflict the comfortable. Last month, a white male was chosen over a Latina female among the finalists to lead the southern region of the Unitarian Universalist Association. While ultimately he was not hired, the choice would have made the leadership of the UUA wildly and disproportionately white and male and unqualified disaster in the administration of a faith tradition committed to being anti-racist. What we learned from this debacle is that while we are countercultural, we are not immune to the forces of the wider society. My colleague, Reverend Gretchen Haley, wrote, the Unitarian Universalist Association is a human creation limited by human imagination, human ego, and yes, human sin. But our faith is not limited. Rather, it calls to us with the vision of serving on behalf of abundant life for all, serving on behalf of liberty and justice for all, that we might imagine a world free of racism and other interlocking oppressive forces and work towards such a world. The call went up from our clergy and lay leadership to examine our internalized, institutionalized racism, to address the inequity of our infrastructure, and to live up to our values. Blue, Black Lives Unitarian Universalist, invited our congregations around the world to step up and face these issues in our worship services this morning. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said there are some things in our world to which persons of goodwill must be maladjusted. Human salvation lies in the hands of the creatively maladjusted. Today we are among more than 600 Unitarian Universalist congregations answering the call to be creatively maladjusted. What is racism? The strong temptation is to point a finger south toward a Confederate flag and hooded Klan members. Duke University sociologist Eduardo Bonillo Silva, author of Racism Without Racist, counters, the main problem nowadays is not the folks with the hoods, but the folks dressed in suits. The more we assume that the problem of racism is limited to the Klan, the Tea Party, or the Republican Party, 
the less we understand that domination is a collective process and we are all in this game. Racism is systemic, embedded in every aspect of our society. Systemic racism is characterized by the unequal distribution of resources along racial lines, the enrichment of white people and the impoverishment of people of color, the granting of privileges and benefits to white people at the expense of people of color. It is characterized by racist ideologies and attitudes. It includes some conscious and implicit racism, including some that might even seem well-meaning. Alternate's Travis Getty reminds us that institutionalized racism is so deeply ingrained in American life that it doesn't even need racists to persist. My colleague, Reverend Dr. Jonathan L. Walton, minister at Harvard University's Memorial Church, writes, a few years ago I was in Little Rock, Arkansas, a groomsman in a wedding. Several alums of Morehouse College flew in from all across the country to share in this special occasion. We were gathered in the hotel parking lot to caravan over to the rehearsal dinner. As we hurriedly backed out of our parking spaces at the same time, two of our cars collided in a minor fender bender. We called the police to get a police report for the insurance companies. 10 minutes later, three police cars pulled up and officers jumped out with guns drawn. They yelled for us to get our hands on the cars. These officers were not responding to our call, but rather to the 911 call of another guest who reported a gang fight in the parking lot. There were several physicians in the group and one or two Wall Street executives. A few of us had or were working toward our PhDs at the same time. But it was not a matter of guilt or innocence, but rather a crowd of African-American men, our bodies occupying a space that in the eyes of some we should not have. To the minds of the person who made that call and the police officers who showed up on the scene, we were already criminals, mere thugs who could have lost our lives with one wrong move. This soul-searing story points to one place we need to do some hard soul-searching. In a piece called 29 Stupid Things White People Do and What We Can Do Instead, Baltimore Racial Justice Action writes, recognize that racism is not just prejudice, but prejudice plus power. In our society, whites have the vast majority of power in institutions such as schools, corporations, and courts. Whites has institutional power to consistently deny resources and rights to people of color, impacting their life choices and life chances. The kind of racism we live and breathe comes from not recognizing our inherent prejudices and then acting unconsciously. To see our racism, we have to both see race and see 
our racial bias. In one scientific study of subconscious bias, participants were shown a picture of two white men fighting. One had a knife, the other did not. And then they were shown a picture of a white man and a black man fighting. The white man had a knife, the black man did not. Most participants correctly identified the white man holding the knife in the first picture. But the study found that most people, both white and black, incorrectly said that in the second photo, the black man had a knife. Howard J. Ross, author of Everyday Bias, writes, the overwhelming number of people actually experience the black man as having a knife because we're more open to the notion of a black man having a knife. There is without a doubt a stereotype in our culture about black men that most of us, including our police officers, have absorbed. The myth, a subconscious belief held by many who consciously would state otherwise, leads us to believe that black men are more likely to be violent criminals than their white counterparts. Black males stand a 21 times greater chance of being killed by police than white males. Should they live to tell the story, a grossly disproportionate number of them will become caught up in the criminal justice system. Mass incarceration is a product of racism. A catastrophic number of black men is behind bars. What is not always in the conversation is this statistic. According to the American Civil Liberties Union, despite the fact that blacks and whites use drugs at roughly the same rates, blacks are incarcerated for drug offenses at a rate 10 times greater than that of whites. What's clear is that for those of us who are white and who want to be sincere, effective allies in anti-racism, we must pay microscopically close attention to our biases. In New Demographics Anti-Racist Parenting blog, Tammy Winfrey Harris writes, bias is inevitable. Racism is not. My colleague, Reverend Erica Hewitt, writes, we have to understand unexamined whiteness as our culture's founding sin, deepest injury, and most urgent call. When you know better, you do better. We have to keep learning and feel uncomfortable. In every situation, we must acknowledge the privilege accorded us simply by the virtue of the color of our skin and be constantly mindful of the insidious ways it opens doors of opportunity for us. The problems besetting communities of color are legion, starting with lack of educational opportunity, unemployment, which is twice the rate for black people as for white people. Poverty, mass incarceration, 
Over the past month, I cast a wide net to solicit suggestions of specific actions we can take to root out racism from all the places it lives and thrives and destroy it. I heard first and last that to be a good ally, those of us who are white need to stop talking and start listening to the experiences of people of color. Here are some additional suggestions. It's a well-known fact that schools are having a very hard time teaching kids to read who don't come from homes where there are books and readers. Knowing as we do that capital and resources for education and economic inclusion will be withheld by the current administration. We are called to step into the breach. We can volunteer to tutor kids from pre-kindergarten right through high school and support access to libraries. The internet is a treasure trove of free information and education. We should help libraries buy community computers and lobby for free internet in areas that are poverty stricken. Driving while black is a measurable peril. Black drivers are pulled over 31% more often than white drivers and 23% more than Hispanic drivers. If you are white, use your privilege. Stand at a respectful distance. Signal to the driver and the police that you are merely bearing witness. And things just may go better. In these perilous times, all of us are learning and relearning the need to stand up for justice, make calls, show up at the offices of our elected officials, vote. If you are white, use your privilege. Consider taking to the streets, being arrested for civil disobedience, and risking the pride of a court record. A court-involved person of color is at risk of injustice simply because of the color of their skin. If you are white, use your privilege. Accompany a person of color to court. Join Big Brothers and Big Sisters. Join Surge, standing up for racial justice, whose mission statement says, we know that to transform this country, we must be part of building a powerful, multiracial majority to challenge racism in all its forms. If we change hearts and minds along the way, so much the better. But the ultimate goal of anti-racism work is to make institutional and structural change in our society, creating the equal opportunity and equal access that mean we've achieved racial equity. Beloved spiritual companions, may we answer the call to the vision of abundant life for all. Let us imagine a world free of racism and commit ourselves to working toward that world. I close with words spoken in 1963 by Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. I say to you, my friends, there are certain things in our nation and in the world to which I am proud to be maladjusted and to which I hope all people of goodwill will be maladjusted until the good societies realize. 
I say very honestly that I never intend to become adjusted to segregation and discrimination. I never intend to become adjusted to, re to religious bigotry. I never intend to adjust myself to economic conditions that will take necessities from the many to give luxuries to the few. I never intend to adjust myself to the madness of militarism to self-defeating effects of physical violence. In other words, I'm about convinced now that there is a need for a new organization in our world, the International Association for the Advancement of Creative Maladjustment. People who will be maladjusted as the prophet Amos, who said, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org. <laughs>